1: Welcome to our Catechism class uh, again today. Um, We're on Lord's Day 32 and we're going to be talking about the repentant life and this is very important. So we're going to commence our Catechism class by reading 1st Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 to verse 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor dividers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God.
0: You're listening to the Semper Reformata Podcast, with Bob McAvoy.
1: Well, our Catechism class today takes us into an ethical area that is right up to date. It deals with repentance. Now, most Christians will certainly agree that you can't come to Christ without acknowledging that you are a sinner and repenting of all your sins and simply trusting the Lord Jesus. But there are some who believe that once you've come to Christ, uh, that no further repentance is necessary. Now, that's not true. The Christian life is a life of repentance And the Christian who thinks that when you are converted, you no longer sin, is living in total delusion. We are forgiven, but we are not yet perfect. That has still to come. We all sin. And we sin right up until we die. The real issue then is the difference between how a Christian deals with that sin compared with how an unbeliever deals with it. An unbeliever who sins will feel no remorse when he sins. He or she may even enjoy it. They may go further. They might want to promote that sin. They may go further still. They may want you to celebrate their sin. The unbeliever will want to keep on sinning. But the Christian, on the other hand, will hate his sin. When he falls into temptation, when he sins, it will burn his conscience, it will make him weep until he comes before the Lord and repents of that sin. So repentance is not just a one-off experience, it is a lifelong aspect of the Christian life. Now, let's think about the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism, as you know, is arranged into three sections. Section 1 is guilt, uh, all about our sin and the misery that it brings upon us. Section 2 is grace, how we are forgiven of our sins by Christ at Calvary. And section 3 is gratitude, our response to what Christ has done. Sin, salvation and the believers thankful response to the Christian life. So when the Catechist asks question 87, he does so Not as part of section 2, our salvation, but as part of section 3, our grateful response. When he talks about repentance, he's not talking about repentance as something you do in order to get saved. He's talking about repentance as being a response to the Lord saving you, having saved you by his grace. So it's our grateful response, and that emphasizes the fact that repentance is an ongoing aspect of our Christian lives. It is one of the evidences of conversion, it is one of the fruits of conversion, and it is something that we must do to the day that we die. So in question 87, the Catechist asks this, Can't those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent? walk of life? And the Catechist's answer is an unequivocal no. The answer given is by no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the Catechist is referencing our text in 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians 6, verse 9 to 11, where Paul gives a stern warning to those who live in ongoing unrighteousness. He draws up a list of sins, sins that were most prevalent in Greek society. And he warns us that those who practice those sins in an unrepentant manner, those who persist in their sin, will never have any place in God's heaven. Let's see some of the people that he's talking about here. He talks about impure and immoral people, fornicators and adulterers, men and women who practice vile sexual immorality. We see this sin all around us today. It's commonplace. We see it in our television programs. We read about it in the news every day. Uh, impure and immoral people. He talks about idolaters. One of the main features of Corinth, of course, was that temple of Aphrodite, the pagan goddess. An unrepentant idolater would never gain entrance to the kingdom. Now we have our idols also. Anything that takes the place of God in our lives is an idol. So then he talks about homosexuals. The authorised version here says effeminate or abusers of themselves with mankind. The New King James Version is far more open about the sins being spoken of here. It simply says homosexuals and sodomites. The Greek language here is quite clear. And the New King James is a very literal translation of what the original text says. Paul is saying that anyone who is living... A homosexual lifestyle cannot at the same time be a member of God's kingdom. And that's a huge stumbling block for the so-called gay Christian movement. How can you be a Christian and be a practicing homosexual? Well, it would go completely against this text. Thieves. Greek society was full of thieves, full of theft. Homes were easy enough to rob. And there's sufficient greedy, grasping people to take advantage of the fact. Drunkards, Greeks were usually sober. Um, They drank wine but they watered it down quite significantly before they drank it and there was only a tiny percentage of alcohol and the reason for that was simply to sterilize the liquid. It was like grape cordial. These drunkards were people who deliberately went to great excess, revilers, people whose delight is always to slander others. Now none of those people who are mentioned, those who practice those sinful lifestyles, could be members of God's kingdom, and they will never be in heaven. But before we start getting too judgmental, and saying, wait a minute, none of that applies to me. I'm not uh, a fornicator, or an adulterer, or an idolater, or a homosexual, or a thief, or a drunkard, or a reviler. Just hold on a minute. Because we're in there too. Paul starts, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he has already told us that unrighteousness is the common description of every man or woman that ever lived. We're all unrighteous before God. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. So Paul has this great list. But he includes us all in it. And he says none of these people will be part of the kingdom of heaven. Those living in unrepentant persistent sin cannot be Christians. And he tells us not to be deceived about it. Don't be fooled. By the modern softening of attitudes towards sin and sinful lifestyles. There's a tendency today to regard sin as just making a mistake in life. Or the product of our sociological conditions or our environment or our upbringing. Sin is far more serious than that. Sin brings God's condemnation upon us and brings eternal death don't be deceived by people telling you that sin is just making a mistake or just a lifestyle choice so what's the good news in this well paul makes the most interesting and important point of all because having laid out this list before us he says and such were some of you in the corinthian church there were people who had once engaged in all the vices of the pagan Greek world there were people in there who had been impure and immoral people people in there who were idolaters people in there who had been engaged in homosexual practices people in that church who had been thieves people who had been drunkards people who had revilers they were there they'd all been Brought together into God's kingdom through God's grace in Christ, they have been gloriously saved. They have experienced the life-changing power of God. You see, there's wonderful hope for the thief, for the extortioner, for the drunkard, for the immortal person, for the reviler, for the homosexual, for you and for me in Christ. God has rescued these people from their sins. He has brought them from darkness to light and from death unto life. Listen to what Jesus did as Paul remarks on the change in their lives. He says, "Ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Do you see the difference? What a glorious, wonderful change the grace of God makes in a sinner's life. We're not what we ought to be. We're not what we will be, but we're not what we were. Paul would later say, Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now does that mean that those people will never be tempted? Does that mean that those people won't slip and fall? Of course it doesn't. We all will come into times of temptation. The difference between the Christian and the worldling is that the worldling revels in his sin. The Christian is repulsed by his sin and in deep distress comes to the Lord cries out for forgiveness and mercy which has already been obtained for him at Calvary and repents. And so we're not what we once were. We have been washed, we have been sanctified. But we're not yet what we are going to be. And until that day, the Christian life is a life of self-examination A life where we humbly accept that within us there is a tendency to sin. A life of prayerful resistance of temptation. And a heartfelt, sincere, continual repentance before the Lord. And so the repentant life is part of the Christian experience. And the Catechist deals with it in question 87.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.